From KJZZ's Fronteras Desk, this is Crossing the Line, a podcast that explores the national, cultural, and political boundaries of the Southwest. Back in May, Fronteras aired a series called The Costs Behind the Migrant Crisis. For that series, reporter Laurel Morales went to Ohio to interview teens who came to the U.S. from Central America. Labor traffickers lured a group of young men to an egg farm in Ohio where they were kept as slaves. Much of the victims' compelling stories wound up on the cutting room floor, until now. In this episode, we'll hear the story of one young man's harrowing journey north. Juan grew up in Honduras, surrounded by brutal gang violence. When I say brutal, I mean raging bloodshed. The two largest cities in Honduras have the highest homicide rates in the world outside a war zone. That's according to the World Health Organization. The Honduras government estimates 174,000 people moved between 2004 and 2014 because of gang violence, some as far as the United States. When he was 16, Juan's family gave him some money to hire a smuggler to get him into the U.S., so he left everything he knew for a new life and set off. You want to know my journey? I was kidnapped in Mexico and held for 12 hours, from 3 in the afternoon to 3 in the morning. They took all my money. My hands and feet were tied. They wanted my family's phone number so they could get more money from them. They put a gun to my head, but I refused to tell them anything. After 12 hours, I managed to escape. He got good at getting away. After he crossed into the U.S., he ran away from the Border Patrol. Juan then walked for four days and four nights in the desert without food. He wound up in a tiny town in Texas, begging on the street, when a kind stranger gave him enough money for food. He quickly found work. The night... At night, I couldn't sleep because of the trauma. When I got here, I had to start work immediately, so I was tired all day. It took a month or two before I could sleep. Juan bounced from Texas to Virginia called a friend who was working for an egg farm in Marion, Ohio. He told him Juan could get work there. That's when Juan met Alraldo Castillo Serrano of Guatemala, a middleman finding laborers for Trillium Farms. Juan was thrown in with a group of other young Central American men, boys really, some as young as 14. Most had been lured there by Castillo Serrano and his labor traffickers. They promised them good jobs and a chance to go to school, Instead, the boys were forced to work 12 hours a day, six days a week, debeaking, vaccinating, and cleaning up after chickens at an egg farm. The teens earned $500 a week, but the traffickers who lured them north kept all but $60. Castillo Serrano earned at least $225,000 off the kids' labor. He's in prison now. Esa gente es peligrosa. These people are dangerous. They threatened me. They said, you don't want to cross us. If you're keeping track, Juan has been kidnapped twice now. 
By the way, Juan didn't want to use his real name because of the threats his captors made against him and his family. The kidnapping, that's not necessarily uncommon, unfortunately. That's Juan's lawyer, Jessica Ramos. We have other clients that went through the same thing. That is, you know, traumatic. There are other things that happen along these journeys that can be very traumatic for the children. So not only do we have to deal with, you know, potentially complicated legal issues at times, we also have to deal with potential trauma that the children have faced. Or other times we find the children in unstable environments where maybe they've been placed with a sponsor who isn't necessarily someone that cares a lot about them and the child is really more or less on their own. Ramos says 50% of her caseload is now dedicated to unaccompanied children fleeing Central America for the U.S. Children, not adults. Oftentimes I think that gets lost in the bigger debate and in the more vicious context of immigration, which bothers me that their livelihood and their survival is politicized um, because these are children that are literally running for their lives in many cases to survive. If you're a parent, can you imagine being so desperate as to send your child on a 2,000-mile journey alone? Come alone. I've had children as young as like eight and nine that came by themselves on buses and walking. Eight? My daughter is eight. I don't let her go to the bathroom alone at the grocery store. We have a five-minute dramatic farewell of kisses and I love yous every morning when I drop her off at school. No, I have zero idea what kind of desperation a mother must feel, what kind of unmerciful reality she's living in to decide to send her child 2,000 miles away, alone. So many risks, so many shady characters along the way, and to not know when or if you'll ever see each other again? I cannot imagine. I've talked to other people who have made the journey from Latin America to the U.S., and every time I'm struck by their determination and their desperation to leave their home country. Why would they pay someone, often their life savings, to be dragged through the desert, hungry, tired, and thirsty, to be traumatized, to be abused, I always ask, ¿vale la pena? Was it worth it? I'm not great. I work until midnight every day on a dairy farm. I sleep for six hours. I, I have no time. But they depend on me. My mom, my dad, my family. I think it's worth it. It's been a sacrifice, but I think it's important. I've been helping my sister and my cousin pay for school in Honduras. Their life is really hard. They work and they study. They don't have any free time and they make the equivalent of $350 a month. That's not enough to live on, but I can help them. Juan imagined a future much different from the one he lives today. Everyone has a suitcase or a backpack full of dreams. Everyone has their dreams. I wanted to be a nurse in Honduras. I didn't have the money. I wanted to get ahead and I didn't have a vision. My plan was to make my life in my country. But the situation in my country made me think twice. 
I can survive, but I cannot live comfortably. The hope here is that I'm more secure. I ask Juan, so your sister that's going to nursing school, is she living your dream? Exactly. She's living my dream. Now she's going to school, but I, I'm still lucky. It's hard for her because every time she walks out of the door, she has to make sure she's not going to get her head cut off. In Honduras, they'll cut your head off just to steal your wallet. I'm walking around looking at my phone. There, you can't do that. There, they'll cut off your arm for your phone. Juan is 20 now, and he's had enough of chickens. He rolled up his sleeves to show me scars where they pecked at him. Today, he works with cows on a dairy farm. He managed to avoid the FBI when they raided the trailer park where the boys were kept. He thought it was an ice raid, so he hid under his bed. He didn't realize that if he'd helped the FBI with their labor ring investigation, he might have received amnesty and helped finding a new job. So he's still not living the secure life he'd hoped for, but he's used to finding his own way. Our reporter was Laurel Morales. I'm Jimmy Jenkins. To hear the rest of the series, The Costs Behind the Migrant Crisis, go to our website, fronterasdesk.org. If you have a story you want told, get in touch with us at reporters at fronterasdesk.org. If you enjoy our Crossing the Line podcast, tell your friends and share a link through kjzz.org or use our mobile app.